Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening, and welcome to the latest Lace Partners HR on the Offensive podcast. My name is Chris Howard. I'm sure you've heard my dulcet tones before, but we always, as as always, we need to get other people's dulcet tones. And today I'm joined for the second time in a week, which feels like a real sort of objective ticker for me, uh, Max Bailey, who's our exec director of our HR tech advisory practice. Max, how are you doing, sir? Chris, great to be here. Really enjoying the uh, the podcast discussions and looking forward to talking to uh, Mehdi from Open Sesame today. Definitely. And he, he, that is the man we're talking to. So before I talk a little bit more about Mehdi and get him to introduce himself, just wanted to sort of set the scene, if you like. So we're talking about Open Sesame, which is an online learning platform. But what we wanted to do today is talk with a particular focus in one area, and that's diversity and inclusion. With Black Lives Matters, with people having to quickly shift from office working to home working, you know, this is an area that's become more and more prevalent and visible from the media perspective, I think. So I have certainly for the last few years seen some businesses larger businesses that have been focused on this area of diversity inclusion, you know, for, for a number of years. So this isn't a new thing. Uh, and we've already had a couple of podcasts. So one which featured uh, Mark McLean and Nikki Squelch, who talked uh, from their perspective on the HR Guild in the Spotlight series, which is also available on this feed. And we've also recently, as of last week or the week before, uh, featured uh, Kate Headley, who spoke again on this topic. But what we wanted to do today is get an actual HR tech perspective, so a platform perspective. You know, if you want to check out those podcasts you can through the back catalogue it's on latestpartners.co.uk forward slash podcast but today's podcast again like i said it's about open sesame let's introduce medi he's the medi tunzi who is the senior regional director of europe at open sesame medi how are you doing sir hi there i'm good thank you yourself yeah, not too bad. You've survived the initial bashing of Max talking about, we talked rugby off air and he survived a little bit because Mehdi, as you may or may not be able to tell from his accent, is French. And Max is, of course, a Kiwi. And quite often I don't engage with rugby talk with Kiwis because usually as an English person, we don't tend to come out on top. But I'm happy to just briefly touch on it now because, you know, the last time that the two sides played, maybe we did okay. But you've survived that, haven't you, Mehdi? I have, in, I have indeed, and it's all done in good spirits. So there's no issues there. <laughs> right, so let's talk about the crux of why we're here today. But first, before we do that, a little bit about you. So let's do a credentials check. Can you tell me a little bit, can you tell myself and Max, a little bit about you, um, your background, and then also about Open Sesame and what you guys do at Open Sesame? Certainly, yeah. So I, I've been in the learning industry um, at large for the past 20 odd years, uh, working on both sides, the, the content and the uh, platform management side of learning so working within the early days of LMSs and implementing LMSs when before e-learning or online learning people were very excited at the uh, the idea of CBT computer-based training so I've been fortunate enough to uh, live through that transition of seeing how technology allowed us to really enhance the whole learning experience and see what works and what doesn't work uh, which brings me to Today, me working for Open Sesame, which, as you mentioned, is an online learning platform. Essentially, what we do is we're a marketplace for e-learning content. So we work with 
multiple publishers from all around the world. And funny enough, the reason why we work with multiple publishers, it is by design is because we firmly believe in diversity. And I say it's funny enough because obviously that's the topic we'd be covering. But and diversity of content because we you know, believe that in the same way that in everyday, everyday life, we all consume content on our devices in a format that is suited to our preferences. It is highly counterproductive that when people get into the workplace, they're being told, no, 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 everyone is going to learn in the same way, in the same format. So our approach and our belief is that by creating and having a great, highly created process and of mapping people learning preferences in terms of style, then we're able to but deliver learning paths that match both the competencies they need to acquire as well as the learning style and they would prefer in order to really drive user engagement. That idea of that personalization, you know, the individual employee experience is obviously critical and particularly critical at the moment. You've got people sat at home at their desks and when you had people on furlough, you know, people learn in different ways and they want to learn different things. And Mm -hmm. engagement with learning platforms is always going to be greater when you have something which is easy to use, is relevant to you and that you find interesting as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was going to refer to it as the holy trinity because it, it exactly is what it is. I mean, what you just mentioned, it is a case of the context, the format, and the relevance for the um, the learner. And um, there's gazillions of um, learning content out there, some good, some less good. Um, so we do a lot of work around like, vetting the quality of the content as a first step. Then the second step is really like, looking at the delivery methodology. As a learning platform, we partner and we work closely with most LMSs and LXPs, and they're going through their own changes and revolution as we speak. But um, at the end of the day, it's what do you make available for learners? I mean, you, you mentioned also a very good point. I think the whole this 2020 year has been a uh, uh, almost a, both an incubator and an accelerator for how people consume content, what kind of content, and what works and what doesn't work. I mean, if you have to work from home for the first time, having to set up like you know simple things like your camera and you know because you have to do more Zoom calls, it might be something that's challenging for some because you've always been in the office and there's always been 90 person that would come and like sort it out for you. So now all of a sudden you're asked to do that, but on top of that you still have to do your work and you have to look after your kids. And so it's um you know it's a case of what format works, what length, um, and how do we deliver that to the learners so that it makes sense for them. Yeah, and, yeah. And building on that, um, Eddie, I'm just I'm interested in understanding how your client base, and if there's if there's themes across your client base and how they've responded to, to COVID, and maybe how their demands on you in terms of your curation service has evolved, um, you know, given given the situation we all find ourselves in in lockdown. No, it's a very good point, Max. So I was going to say, essentially, we have a very large catalog. We have over 20,000 e-learning courses. And our approach is always the same. We, you know, our approach is first to try and identify the pain points. What, is, you know, what are our customers trying to solve? What's the issue? What's the challenge they have? And then from there, we'll go and map out their learners' learning style preferences and then we start creating a learning map or curation, what we call a curated list, that will match those specific um, challenges in a format that matches their learners' preferences so they can deliver it in a suitable way at the right time. So, you know, we really always start from that perspective of understanding what's the challenge, what are we trying to solve? I mean, you know, 
content for the sake of content does not solve anything. So it really is about understanding that. And fantastic, fantastic. And I'm, I'm really interested, actually, my daughter's just joined me, so she'll probably say hello in a second. But um... this is the joy of the new way of working, isn't it? We can have a we can have a daughter on a podcast. Do you know what we did podcast with Carissa Kilgore a couple of weeks ago and Carissa brought her dog along. Now we have a little human being along. So what's your daughter's name, Max? Come on, let's do this. Uh, this my daughter's name is Ava. Hello, Ava. Hi, Ava. Ava's being a little bit shy, I think. Oh, she's being <laughs> shy. She's not making her... She's not making a podcast debut just yet, but this is what I love. I love the the natural sort of feel of being able to have these conversations, and this is why we enjoy doing these these podcasts. But sorry, yeah, sorry, Max, uh, I interrupted you there. Actually, no, your daughter interrupted you, but uh... she did, she did indeed. So I was, I was actually, it was, it was almost perfect timing because I was going to ask. Um, or I was going to make the observation that I wish I'd had some of that curated content specifically for for smaller children, actually, to help the whole homeschooling, because it has it has been a very long six months, shall we say. So I, um, actually, if, if I may jump in, because it, it's very interesting. So if I look at some of the things that have been uh, on demand and were not expected, I mean, at the very beginning of COVID, there was a, you know, a huge demand for anything to do with managing remotely, um, motivating remotely, stress management, those were the big topics But um, of late. And I say that it, it amuses me, but it should be amusing because it's rather sad. But um, we've had a, a growing demand for de-escalation courses on how to manage situations where people are arguing against one another because someone is wearing a face mask, the other person is not wearing a face mask. And therefore, because we're having like more and more cases of people clashing because they stand on, you know, different sides of the fence in terms of how much you should be, you know, wearing like PPE versus how dangerous or not it is. So that's been a growing, as businesses have started, you know, reopening and going back to work, that's been actually a growing demand that I did not expect and certainly couldn't foresee that people needed more, or organizations needed more courses around de-escalation in case of arguments between employees and colleagues. Yeah, I mean, I certainly see that when I walk down the high street these days, the amount of people that are tutting at each other. That's a very British way, isn't it? Let's just walk down the street and tut at each other when somebody's not abiding by the rules or queuing. But let's um, just kick this on just a little bit. I want to talk specifically about the diversity and inclusion side of your content. So can you tell me a little bit about that part, that section, you know, what you cover? And then also talk to me about the take up, I guess, you know, have you seen an increase of this over the last year? Has it been over the last few years as, as more and more businesses start to recognize their their level of corporate social responsibility and and how they have to be organizations that are a little bit more, I don't want to say transparent, but it's they are a little bit more like their sphere of what they're interested in is a little bit beyond the pound, shilling and pence of how much, you know, the shareholders earn. Yeah, no, no, it's a very good point. So Allow me to, to track back and almost like, um, walk you through an interesting journey we, we, we went through as an organization. So um, I manage our EMEA operations and I'm based here out of London and, as you mentioned, uh, a proud Frenchman. But the, our headquarters are in Portland, Oregon. And for those of you that are familiar with the US, the Pacific Northwest and Portland is known for being quite liberal. In, in fact, the, the tagline of Portland is keep Portland weird. And then I'm mentioning that because as an organization, we've always seen ourselves as a very inclusive organization where, you know, um, most of our colleagues are free to be themselves. We, you know, we're not um, strict on a dress code or anything like that. And, and, and all of that was um, pre-COVID. And we used to have a, you know, quite a, a decent amount of courses around diversity and inclusion 
and most of them you could find them under we we had we had six core categories of um, content that we covered so business skills uh, certifications industry specific content safety compliance and technology now we have seven and I explain why is because after the uh, Saturday the George Floyd um, events all of a sudden as an organization I think that's where it started is really with us as an organization, we realized and we thought, hold on, we've always seen ourselves as quite inclusive as an organization. And, and yet a lot of our compliance content sat within the, a lot of our diversity content, sorry, sat within the compliance um, space. And by doing that as a learning organization, as a, you know, a, a provider of like learning um, technologies, we might not be sending the right message in terms of where diversity, equity and inclusion really should sit in any organization. And we've created a dedicated category that is called diversity, equity, and inclusion that has everything from unconscious bias to uh, mental health awareness to inclusive leadership, which is probably one of the hardest to tackle, actually, if you look at the, the state of most leadership organizations throughout the world, uh, generational uh, diversity, intercultural competencies. And, and, you know, there's like hundreds and hundreds of, of titles around that. But I'm mentioning that because by going through that process ourselves as an organization that already saw itself as fairly inclusive and you know quite diverse we realized that actually maybe we were not and as a result of that we've created that category we've actually hired a dedicated person to really drive and um, our library around diversity equity and inclusion and we've hired a dni expert to like, help drive us as an organization and change everything from our wording so actually if you went onto our website now you even see our pledge around diversity and we wanted to make it like clear and as a statement and as part of and our dna but also you know everything from and then you know you can see now more and more recruitment platforms or talent acquisition platforms are trying to like revisit how they're doing it because a lot of them used to claim oh we use algorithms and they do that but the algorithms are being written by people <laughs> that means there's a likelihood there's already a bias there so in terms of the language you use as part of your talent acquisition or things like that, there's a lot that trickles down that diversity aspect. And I'd say pre, and it's, for us at least, that that's how I see it, that George Floyd event and the, the whole BLM movement, had, there's literally a, a before and after. Because before, you mentioned like, rightly, Chris, that a lot of organizations already had DNI in place. But I'd argue that the majority of them has had it because it was a compliance issue. Because you needed to tick a box around that diversity. And what that whole series of events has changed drastically is that not only are businesses now recognizing that you know, there is an actual business value in diversity, but I think, and that's where the big shift is happening, and it's lots of exciting things are hap happening, and we'll be able to discuss that, is there is a demand from the employees, from like, that workforce, to see like, you know, drastic, deep changes in the way that the organizations are managing that whole diversity agenda. Yeah, it's it's, it's fascinating, fascinating, Mehdi, actually, how when you think about the cultural shift that we've seen in, in really in the last 12 months between diversity, equity, and inclusion being seen as a checkboxing exercise. And I know for many of the for many of the larger firms, it, it, it possibly still is a bit of that. But it, it's really interesting how it's moved out of the we need to prove that we're compliant with these particular measures and into actually this is just a good thing for us to do let's put it into its own category let's push it as an agenda item in its own right because it's a good thing to do and i know i know we at lace we're we're 
also particularly diverse in that in that respect and in, in, in almost all of if not all of the the measures you would usually look at and it's just it's quite fascinating to me that actually until you talked about it i've not thought of it in quite the same way of it's not a compliance activity it's not a checkboxing activity it's much more of a this is central to an organization's culture to their norms to who they want to be seen as both by their employees and through the employee experience lens but also who they are perceived to be in the broader industry by the shareholders by by broader stakeholders and what have you so where do you guys go next what what do you think the future holds for um for open sesame so so this is a very good question i think it's very interesting i'm i'm seeing almost a a a geographical divide in the sense that in the US and probably because they had, well, they were on the receiving end first you know first end of to what happened especially in the financial sector if you if you follow the news recently there was the uh, that you know silly thing said by the um, Merrill Lynch um, CEO uh, and then it followed by two weeks ago JP Morgan announcing like a 3 billion investment in their DNI over the next 5 years so you know clearly making a statement and and I think it is needed because essentially, if you want to like recruit ta- talent and attract talent, now it would be you know it, it goes beyond your packet. We already knew that statistically with like millennials, it was around a sense of purpose. But I think that inclusive aspect, and you know, um, and we probably see more things around like um, I suppose um, social equity, if, they, if you know, if I can coin that 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 term, happening more and more where. People are demanding of their organizations to not just be good for the shareholders, but a really walk the walk and not just like talk the talk when it comes to like diversity, but also okay, how are we paying it forward? What are we doing? So, in terms of trying to, to, to answer your question, you still have the usual suspects in terms of uh, leadership is still up there. There's a lot of organizations that are still trying to work out how they're going to prepare, train the leaders of tomorrow for their organization. The difference now is that we're looking at a far more inclusive leadership where leadership used to be a club of, you know, like almost a band of like the good old boys club. This is changing. This is shifting. So we're seeing that shift happening, which is from my perspective, uh, reassuring, but I think it goes beyond that. I think the, the demand is, you know, much bigger than that. And I feel that in Europe, we're still behind. I think, in, you know, in Europe, uh, we're seeing now, I'm seeing more organizations re-looking at diversity and realizing they had not done anything. Funny enough, uh, I'm seeing here in the UK, a lot of um, government-based organizations asking for it. But, uh, I, you know, it's very hard not to ask yourself, could it be linked to what happened in the news last week again with some political figures not um, saying the, the right comment? And it, so I think it's a bit sad that we are reactive rather than proactive. But the, the big trends you, you will see in terms of learning are around like leadership, but then resilience, a growth mindset is a big, big, big one. We're seeing a lot of organizations saying how, especially, you know, we know that the next few months might be tough for many organizations. How do we move people into that stage of let's have a growth mindset? Let's have, a, you know, the glass is always half full and what can we do to, as a business, to be more resilient, but at the same time to like recreate that kind of foster that spirit of being, you know, having that growth mindset. Yeah, and I think I think with um, well, with the new the new normal that we're all living in, with with the, the joy that is the COVID lockdown, I think building those leadership skills and being aware of diversity and inclusion, and and growing resilience in the workforce is is going to become more and more top of the agenda. 
because you know we're we're seeing already you know and, and you see it in the news you you see it amongst um, our clients and, and even amongst some of our folk that working from home from prolonged periods of time has different has benefits in some ways but it also has some stresses and those stresses are different to the ones that existed when you were all co-located in an office for 60, 70, 80, 90% of your time. And even things like how you do performance management Mm -hmm. equitably and how do you measure people when they're working remote in isolation is, I think, going to become more and more a central topic. And it's all about the care of the employee, growth of the employee, the employee experience, and, and all linked very closely into sort of the diversity agenda as well, I think. I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, if anything, I, I, you mentioned the performance management. I think that's going to be very interesting. I think we, we, there's a massive shift now in the, the way performance management is perceived and prepared. I mean, you know, I think we're moving from the, the classical model because of that, the fact that, you know, most of us are still bound to work from home and therefore we're not going to get to interact physically with our colleagues as often as we did before. I think we, you know, that will be completely revisited. What will be the, the KPIs and maybe you know, a lot of organizations would drop KPIs and just move to OKRs when it comes to performance management. It, 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 I think the shift is happening. I think organizations are still digesting the, the whole COVID thing. And that's it, I, I'm still have, every day we still have organizations saying, we need help on managing remotely. Or uh, literally last week, I had a, a very large um, defense organization telling me that they, they just realized that their face-to-face training that was planned for November is not going to happen. And I was like, of course it's not going to happen. I mean, but I, so there, there's still, you know, a lot of organizations that are in that expectative stage where they're not realizing that the new normal is the new normal and hip state. It's not a, you know, a transition or a phase and that is just temporary. So the the shift is happening is far from being finished. Yeah. I mean, just before we, we're going to wrap up um, shortly, actually, but just before we do, mm-hmm. can I just ask you, I want to look at some of the clients that you've already got. Are there any organizations that you can share with us that are doing it well or interacting with your system, particularly on the diversity and inclusion side well? And do they have any characteristics? Can you spot an organization that you say they're going to be good at this and the way in which they deliver their programs is going to be successful? You can see it. Is there any characteristics there? So, the, yeah, I mean, I, I cannot um, name organization as such, but what I can tell you is we almost have like a, a, an informal scale of um, learning maturity. And depending on where you sit in that scale of learning maturity, and by learning maturity, I mean an organization's ability to really use the technology as an enhancer and not rely on the technology to do the job for them because that, that doesn't work. And a lot of organizations are talking about being learner-centric, but learner-centric, that means that you already have fostered within your organization the ability for people to have access to the right content as and when, and then allow them to be able to go and pick that right content. So I'd say those who are doing better, if we had like a tier program around high-performing learning organizations, are those that have... A, the right blend of formalized learning, a huge element of coaching built in because all the learning programs in the world are only as good as uh, the ability you have to implement that in the working and learning habits of your uh, employees. If it's just a one-off uh, operation and it's not followed up by any kind of practice, or then I mean you, you won't be achieving much. So I'd say that those are high-performing or those are able to embed 
any learning interactions as part of their processes in terms of being able to coach the employees around whatever it is they might have learned online and then giving them a hands-on opportunity to be able to apply those very same skills while being coached um, in, in the same process. Cool. And um, One final question, actually, because it just popped into my head just before we wrap up. Is there anything that you'd like to share with us and our listeners in terms of the Open Sesame platform, any exciting stuff that's in development? Obviously, there's going to be some very secret and uh, fantastic work that you guys are doing, but is there anything you can share with us? Yeah, there, there, there is. people a, excited. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited about it, so I don't know if people will get excited about it, but so we, I've mentioned we work with multiple publishers and they, they're all great and have great content. But one of the things I'm, I'm really happy and proud of is the, the partnership we have with TED. Um, and I would assume that most of your listeners are familiar with the TED Talks, which are great and inspiring. But what we've done is that we've worked with this, that we, the TED Talks have, in, have been turned into self-guided courses. So where before you'd watch the TED Talk and it's great, it's inspiring, but then, you know, what? What's next? What do I do? Now, you're given, as a learner, you're given all the tools to really be able to like, implement and turn those ideas into action and really impact your behavior and not be able to change your behavior from what you've learned from that TED Talk. So I would recommend you can go onto our website, opensesame.com, create an account. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And then you're able to have a look at those courses and you know what's in those courses because it's lots of fun. I strongly recommend, if you've not seen it, the um, Happy Secret to Better Work. It's a great TED Talk. So I'd say make sure you tune in to uh, that podcast every week. But more importantly, that uh, you watch that TED Talk because that really helps you revisit where you, you, you set your happiness standards, I guess, and how to rewire your brain towards uh, a happier uh, work life. That's fantastic. Mehdi, thank you very much for your time today. So um, this podcast, we are just wrapping up for today. So this podcast is available via iTunes. You can get us on TuneIn if you ask your Alexa device or um, any device that you've got to search for the HR on the Offensive podcast. Uh, we're on SoundCloud and Spotify as well, uh, also on Stitcher too. So broadly speaking, we're on most platforms. You just need to search for HR on the Offensive. That's us done for the day. I think this leaves me nothing better, nothing more to say other than Thanks again, Max, twice in a row. Are we going to see a hat trick in the near future? Absolutely, Chris. I'd love to join again. Lovely. Brilliant. I won't do any more bantering on New Zealand rugby, particularly if you're back at world number one again. We'll, we'll park that one. <laughs> and lot well, yes, we, we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> <laughs> and Mehdi, thank you very much um, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. To both of you really enjoyed it. It's been great having you on and we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>